0: Amen. Good morning. morning. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. If you're a guest with us, my name is Raymond Johnson. I serve as one of the pastors here at Christ Church. It's a delight to have you with us this morning. If you have your Bible, we invite you to turn with us to the Gospel of John. Our time together this morning will be greatly helped and far more enjoyable if you follow along in a copy of God's Word, the Bible. And if you came here this morning and you don't have a copy of God's Word that you can call your own, we actually have a gift for you. It's underneath the seat in front of you. There should be a Bible near or around you. We would love for you to take one of those home and just consider that a gift from our church to you this morning so that you can read the Gospel of John and study the Bible. Nothing would delight us more than to see Bibles leaving from underneath the pew and going home with you. So feel free to take one of those. It's a blessing to have you here with us. For all of our members and regular attenders, Uh, We are going to begin a series of sermons in the Gospel of John. You should be able to find John's Gospel on page 886 of the Bible we provide for you. It's one of the four Gospels. I'm going to begin reading in just a few moments in John 1, verse 1. And do not worry, I will not read to the end of the book this morning, though I considered it. John was one of the twelve disciples. And his Gospel represents the mature reflections of the last living Apostle, about 55 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Writing sometime in the 80s, his gospel is not simply a theological abstraction of ideas. It is a powerful and unique presentation in our Bibles of the most magnificent life ever lived, Jesus' life. Each scene in John's gospel was chosen with care by the apostle, and it is presented in a way to accomplish one purpose, In fact, John's gospel is unique in that he tells us that he has a purpose. If you have your Bible already open, John, I want you to actually turn to the end of the gospel very quickly. John chapter 20, verse 30. John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. Which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Everything John recorded in his gospel contributes to this purpose. Many of us love John's gospel, and there is so much to love. We come and we see so much teaching about Jesus the Christ, a a high Christology is what we call it. We see so much imagery in this gospel, and there are so many stories that are simple and familiar to us. But everything that John has written is for this purpose. Everything that we call the book of signs, really the first 12 chapters of this gospel. Everything that we call the book of glory, really... The last 11 chapters of this gospel from chapter 12 to chapter 21. All of the seven I am statements. All of the seven witnesses talking about Jesus. All of the seven signs. Everything that we see. The the unique water theme in John's gospel. And as I say these, many of us have studied John's gospel. And we become very fascinated with the unique things about John. But we forget that John did not record them to fascinate us and wow us with his ability as a gospel writer. John wrote all of these things so that we might know that the Christ is Jesus and that by believing you might have life in his name. He is writing to convince us that we may come to believe and he is writing to convince us that we may keep on believing evangelism, and discipleship are the goal of John's gospel. And that means that this gospel and this study of John's gospel is for all of us. John's gospel was written so that Christians and their faith in Jesus would be strengthened. That it would be strengthened and that they would be greatly encouraged as their love for Jesus grew deeper. As they learned more and how to share their faith using the stories of ...of Jesus that they read about in John's Gospel. The Gospel was written to actually teach Christians to focus on Jesus. To teach them to focus on Jesus by showing them how to deal with different kinds of people... ...just like there are different kinds of people in this room. Showing them how to deal with different kinds of people... ...by how Jesus dealt with different kinds of people throughout John's Gospel. Modeling just one way for us through the life of our Savior how to evangelize family and friends, colleagues and co-workers, people who seem to us to be far off and people who seem to us to be the obvious Christian person, people who seem to be living the right way and people who seem to be living the wrong way. John's gospel was written to help people focus on Jesus and deal with different kinds of people. My fellow Christians... The wonderful simplicity of John's gospel is that he did it all by focusing on Jesus. And just at the beginning of our study of John's gospel, it just helps us see to focus on Jesus. Not politics, Jesus. Not programs, Jesus. Not individual people or persons, Jesus. Not apologetics, Jesus. Let me ask you, Christian, are you focusing on Jesus? As we begin to study this gospel, are you focusing on Jesus in your Christian walk? Is the life of Jesus transforming and informing the way that you live your life as a Christian? And friends, if that today cannot be answered in the affirmative and the positive, then let me just invite you to not only be here on Sundays, but to give yourself a fresh to reading the Gospels and learning about Jesus. And Christian, are you focusing on Jesus in your evangelism? The non-Christian world does not have to agree with you on the more fine-tuned aspects of Christian theology. But they do have to agree with you on what the Bible reveals about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do and why His life matters for everyone everywhere. John's Gospel was written so that those interacting with this material who are not Christians would come to believe as they interact with the life of Jesus, that they would come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing they may have life in his name. So friend, let me ask you, if you're here today at the beginning of our study of John's gospel, and you already know that you're not a Christian before we've even read our passage this morning, Let me tell you that John's purpose in writing this gospel and our prayer in studying this gospel is that you, the person who is here today who is not a Christian, would not only grow alongside us in knowledge, but that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have eternal life in his name. And as we study, you'll see that believing in Jesus is far more than simply believing that Jesus was a historical person. You can believe that Jesus is a historical person and not be a Christian. There are people who teach at the campus down the street who believe that Jesus was a historical person and they know nothing of saving faith in Jesus Christ. And it is more, as we'll see in John's Gospel, than simply believing that Jesus died on the cross. It's possible for you to be here today and believe that Jesus was a historical person and that Jesus really historically died on the cross and not be a Christian. It's more than simply believing that Christianity is the true religion over and against false religions or belief systems. You can believe that Christianity is right in its presentation of religious facts and that Christian people seem to live the best kind of lives and not be a Christian. For John, in our study of this gospel, It is believing that the Christ, God's Messiah, God's Savior, is Jesus, God's Son, who took on flesh to live the life that you could never live in perfect obedience to all that God required in the law, and then died the death that you deserve to die as your substitute for your sinful disobedience to all that God required before he was raised from the dead, so that you might be declared righteous before God. That is why John's gospel is such a breath of fresh air. If you've just been reading through the Bible chronologically and moving from Genesis to now, in many ways the Bible feels oppressive. And we come because we don't have the full picture of what Jesus came to do and to fulfill for us and to relieve us from. It is believing in John's gospel and what Martin Luther called the great exchange. Christ for you. My friend, let me just tell you at the beginning of our study before we even read our passage, that you can believe that today if you're not a Christian. Right now, at the beginning of the sermon, you can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The Bible says that you have to admit that you're a sinner, a sinner who stands in need of Jesus' substitutionary work on the cross, that you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that you need to confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Lord over all and Lord over your life. Friend, at the very beginning of the sermon, I'm just fronting this for you to say, if you would like to talk more about that, let me encourage you to do two things today. First, keep the Bible open the whole time. Keep the Bible open and listen to the whole sermon and read with us. And second, find me at the tunnel following the service. I would be glad to open the Bible with you. Or find one of the members here in the congregation They would love to tell you more, how you can have life in Jesus' name. We are glad that you are here. But for all of us, as we begin this gospel, as we begin our study of John's gospel today, let me challenge us because of the verses that we have read to ask each time we come in here to hear a sermon from this this book, how does this passage fulfill John's purpose at the end of the gospel? If you're a Christian... How does each passage that we're reading in John's Gospel strengthen your faith in the eternal Word made flesh? And if you're not a Christian, how does this passage help you see more clearly that the Christ is Jesus? And that by believing, you may have life in His name. John writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to us with the same authority as if Jesus Christ himself were here speaking to us today. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us today as we turn our attention to your word. Your word is truth. It is a light unto our feet. It is a lamp unto our path. And we ask now, God, that you would help us to study it, to learn more about it. Father, I pray for my fellow brothers and sisters, my fellow Christians in the room, that today you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we might grow into deeper faith and deeper repentance, that we might be astonished at the revelation of the Son of God and that you have revealed this to us in your holy word. Father, we pray together, all of us Christians, for those who are here who are not Christians, that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear to behold the beauty and wonder of the revelation of the Son of God That he condescended to take on flesh for us. That he came into the darkness for us. That he died on the cross for us. That he has made the invisible God known to us. And Father, we ask that they would believe. Father, we ask that you would help us. Give us endurance in our study of John's gospel. And we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty and precious name. Amen. I love story. Many of you who know me know that I love story. I love reading stories. And many of you who also love stories love reading stories, particularly the ones that you get caught up in the midst of and kind of stress you out as you're reading them. The kind of stress where you can't really put the book down because you need the next thing to happen. I distinctly... Remember many times in grad school while I was studying, and I just needed a break from anything that was what I was studying that I would pick up in the middle of the night a series of fiction books, only to think, I'll just stop at the end of the next chapter, to be so stressed out that I couldn't stop staying up later than I intended, to keep reading the story so that I could figure out what is actually going on. And for some of you who don't like story, you just skip and read the last chapter of the book and say it's done and move right along. John helps all of you out this morning, the latter group of people. He stresses us out right at the beginning. He fronts the end of the story so that he can build very quickly to what he's trying to communicate to us. He loves story, and he's going to tell us a 21-chapter story. But right at the beginning of his gospel, he builds to a crescendo so that we might be able to see clearly and understand what he is writing, and then he picks it back up at the end of his story. And as he does, he gives us some very simple points right at the beginning. The Word, the witness, the world, and the eternal Word made flesh. Notice first the Word. Look with me again in verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John's first words in his gospel direct us back to the first words of the Bible in the book of Genesis, in the beginning. And in so doing, at the very beginning of the gospel, John gives us license to be thinking about the creation account. He's already telling us, think of the beginning, think of the creation, and behold, something new. He teaches us right here at the beginning that everything that he's about to write to us is the fulfillment of God's intention from the beginning. And it is the beginning of something new, a new creation. As in the beginning, God revealed himself by speech, as he spoke creation into existence. So now, once again, the speaking God reveals himself By his word, who was in the beginning. John's point is actually very simple at the very beginning of his gospel. There has never been a moment in time, there has never been a moment in eternity past when the word did not exist. He was, verse 2, in the beginning with God. The word that John begins to speak about was pre-existent with God. And the Word is distinct from God. Verse 1. The Word was with God. He was in the beginning and He was with God. He is distinct from God. The Word has always been. The Word exists in closest possible relationship to God. And verse 3. The Word is God. Our familiarity with this passage has dulled its impact on us today. You can say almost anything that you want to about Jesus today, except that he is God. Most contemporary people will listen to you wax philosophical about Jesus and how nice he is and how wonderful he is and how loving he is. But they will find it offensive if you refer to Jesus as God. That's true in the 21st century, and that was true in the first century. People were fine with Jesus being a historical person. People were not fine with Jesus being God. Because if we say that Jesus is God, then we must believe what the Bible says about Jesus and what Jesus says about himself to be true. And that means all of the religions and belief systems are false. And that means that everybody in this room is a sinner. And that means... That everybody that you've ever met is a sinner. And that means that everybody that you've ever met who is a sinner is separated from God and needs Jesus to do something for them that they cannot do for themselves. And that means that because of your sin, you and all of the people that you have ever known or could ever possibly meet all need to repent of your sins. You need to turn away from your sins. And that means that you are required, there is a moral obligation on you to believe what the Bible says about Jesus, that you must believe the good news or the gospel that he preaches, that God has come near in him, that his kingdom has come near in Christ and that God commands you, demands that you repent and believe in Jesus or go to hell forever. People are fine with you saying all kinds of things about Jesus, but they are not okay with you saying that Jesus is God. But this is exactly what John wants to teach us at the very beginning in the introduction to his gospel. He wants us to know at the very beginning in what we know as the prologue, the introduction, the first 18 verses to this gospel, that Jesus Christ is God. In these opening verses, this aged apostle reflecting on his life 50 years after the death of Christ, sometime in the 80s, now wants us to think about the central figure of the gospel, Jesus Christ, as if his readers cannot properly comprehend the story unless they understand from the very beginning that Jesus Christ is the eternal word. Jesus is not simply a historical person. He is the eternal word. He was in the beginning with God. He is God. And his deity in John's gospel, just like his deity today, is a battleground. You can say almost anything you want about Jesus. Yet this is the very thing that John declares, that he is eternal word. And John continues by explaining that God created all things through the agency of his word. A point that he makes both positively and negatively to underscore that there is nothing created in the world that he did not create. Verse 4. All things were made through him. Positive. And without him, not anything made was made. Negative. If you did not understand the first time, understand the second time. If you don't get it this way, understand it that way. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. All life. All light, everything physical, all people everywhere. Everything was brought into existence through the eternal word, both physical and spiritual. All light and life come from him. And yet, John tells us here at the beginning of this gospel that trouble is on the horizon as he speaks about new things. Notice how he signals it in verse 5 The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The first hint of the incarnation is described as a light shining in the darkness. Not a place where there is damp light or dim light, but a dark place where there is no light. And he comes on to the scene in the darkness. The battle between darkness and light in John's gospel is one of the major themes that we see. Not in a duality as if darkness is rivaling God and maybe God can conquer the light, but explaining that there is genuine darkness. And the light has come to get rid of the darkness. Light is closely associated with Jesus throughout all of John's gospel. As you just go and read carefully through John's gospel, you'll see this. And yet here John after 50 years after the death of Christ, says that the light of the world still illumines the darkness. He is divine. He is eternal. He is the creator of all things, the source of all being, the source of all light and life. He is the source of spiritual light and spiritual life. The Word is able to provide the life that throughout the Old Testament people had been seeking. John says, ever since the fall, people have been crying out for. Friends, the life that you have been longing for all of your life. You live so much of your life to just have a dim glimmer of this light in life. And John tells you, this Jesus makes it known and offers it to you. The word, notice second, the witness. Look in verse 6. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The eternal word is contrasted with the witness who was merely, verse 6, a man. In John's gospel, John the Baptist is referred to as John because everybody was a Baptist. He's referred to... Thank you for the delayed laugh. I appreciate that. (laughs) But now I know you're listening. In John's gospel, John the Baptist is referred to as John because the gospel author, John, never refers to himself in this gospel. He's never referred to by name. He just lumps himself in with all of the people who are in close proximity to Jesus. So there's no need to distinguish John the Baptist from John the Apostle. So when he speaks of John here, he's not speaking of himself. He's speaking of the Baptist, the one who came, the witness, the one who is here to proclaim that he is coming, the forerunner of the Messiah, the Word, the Savior. And the contrast between the witness and the Word could not be more stark and plain. Look at verse 6 again. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The Word has been described in verses 1 through 5 as eternal creator, life giver, but John is a man and he is a man on a mission. Verse 6. Sent from God. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. The purpose of the witness's mission, of John's mission, is to testify or to bear witness to the word. As you go and just read through the Gospel of John, one of the things that I'm just going to keep challenging at the beginning of our time together, read and reread the Gospel of John, you will find that there are many witnesses in John's Gospel pointing to Jesus. John the Baptist. Jesus himself. Jesus' works. God the Father. The Scriptures. The Samaritan woman. The crowds who are following Jesus. And the goal of John and all of these witnesses in John's gospel is that men and women, young and old, rich and poor, black and white and other, educated and uneducated, all kinds of people might come to believe that the Christ, God's Messiah, God's Savior, is Jesus, God's Son, and that by believing they might have life in his name. From the very beginning of this gospel, the witness is distinguished from the word because the spotlight was never intended to be on the witnesses. And friends, I think that teaches us something about the way that we often approach John's gospel as a whole. We come and we put the spotlight on all of the interesting things. And we look to all of the people who we want to be interested in and learn more about. We do that in our Bible study and we do that often in our own day. We put all of the spotlight on the wrong things and on the wrong people, but for all of these people and all of these details and all of these witnesses, they're just redirecting our gaze throughout John's gospel so that we might look to Jesus from the very beginning. They never intended any of the spotlight to be on them, but instead they wanted all of the attention to be on the eternal word to direct people's attention to Jesus. Notice how John helps us see this as he writes in his gospel about this John. Here, the Baptist. Verse 8. He was not the light. Don't look to him. Listen to his message, but don't look to him. He was not the light. There was one who was the light. It's not John. He came, though, to bear witness about the light. He came to point away from himself. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. His whole job was to point to Jesus. Fellow Christians in the room, as an aside for us as we think of this passage, are you pointing away from yourself and toward the light which enlightens the world? Jesus. Or are you putting all of the emphasis in all of the wrong places and all of the wrong people? John's witness is not an abstraction. His witness is to a person, the Word, the true light, over and against every false light. He wants us to look to Jesus, the Word, the witness. Notice third, the world. Look at me in verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The witness to the word is taking place in the world. Something mentioned three times, if you're reading closely, in verses 9 and 10. Careful readers noticed it. World, world, world. And that word is central to our understanding of all of John's gospel and John's literature because it is used several times to refer to several different things from John's gospel and 1 John and 2 John and 3 John and the book of Revelation, all of John's writings. Sometimes it refers to the material universe, the object of God's creation. We see that in verse 10. Right here in verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. Sometimes it refers to Satan's priorities or his system of priorities. And we see that in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. Sometimes it refers to humankind and the earth as the object of God's love and his redemptive plan. And we see that in the well-known verse to all of us. John three sixteen: For God so loved the world That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And sometimes that word refers to unbelievers who are hostile to God's plan, as we see in John chapter 15, verse 18. But what should astonish us here at the very beginning of John's gospel is how unbelievable it is to consider that the world, even in its rebellion, is the object of God's love. The world, even in the midst of rejecting and turning away and dismissing, is the object of God's love, and the Word was sent to save the world. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. Yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. Now, if we read them closely and we just look at the beginning of verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, we would expect. And the world loved him. They were happy to have been made. They were glad in all that he had done for them because they knew that they deserved nothing. But that's not what John says. Yet the world did not know him. And friends, it's not simply that you didn't know him. It is true that there are people that you meet that do not know him. Tragically, we live in a world where we can go to places where there are people who do not know Jesus. They don't know him experientially, and they do not know about him. They do not have people preaching to them to tell them about Jesus Christ. But that's not all that John says, that there are just people who lack information. They didn't know him, and they needed a certain amount of information. And if they received the right amount of information, then all of a sudden they would know him because they know about him. He says, he came to his own. The people that he had made. And his own people did not receive him. Think of the greatest act in the world of love. God comes. And a refusal to be received by these people. John wants us to see how astonishing it is. That the world rejected the word. They didn't simply lack information. Brothers and sisters... You don't simply lack information. You have consciously rejected the Word made flesh because you love your flesh more than you love the Word. The world rejected the world, the Word. The Word came into the world that He created and it failed to recognize Him. And even worse, He came to His own and they did not receive Him. The people who had been waiting for Him, the people who had been longing for Him, The people who had been praying for him. The people who had been anxiously looking for him rejected him. Because he was not what they expected. So he was not what they wanted. They wanted something very different than what they received. They did not want a dying Savior. Friends, I wonder if that describes your experience with Jesus. That he's not what you expected. And therefore, he's not what you want. Because he commands more of you than you ever wanted. But to all who did receive and believe the word, they experienced something different in John's gospel. Look with me in verse 12. They experienced new birth. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. John makes clear that the work of being accepted into God's family is not the result of human decision. We come to John's gospel and we start asking those questions. We want to know, did I do this or did God do this? And John just tells us at the very beginning, though there is a human element, we must believe. Though there is a human element, we must receive. The result is all God's work. We must be born again by God. It is a divine work brought about by God's work in the world, in the people who received him. Membership into God's family is by grace alone. They believe, they receive this revelation. Friends, I wonder if you're here and you're not a Christian and you are trying really hard to make God like you and to receive you. The astonishing thing about the Bible is that you will see time and time again, if you read closely, is that there is nothing that you can do to make God like you and make God love you. God, in His great mercy, sent forth His Son to die for people who did not love Him. And He calls those children that His Son died for to Himself through the preaching of the Word. And they must simply believe. Not do anything. Believe. Friend, if you are here today, believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. Trust in Jesus Christ. The Word... The witness, the world, notice forth the eternal Word made flesh. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me, ranks before me, Because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The fourth point is not titled such because I ran out of W's. The fourth point is titled such because John is building toward the crescendo. And he wants to make a lot of distinctions. The Word, the witness, the world, and now something astonishing and new again in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, the Word, is God come in human flesh. And more than that, He dwelt among us. The fact that the Word dwelt among us means that he did not merely remain aloof or separate from the people that he created. God inserted himself. God sent forth his son. Jesus added humanity to himself. He took on flesh and he lived among us, like us. He dwelt or tabernacled among us. When we're reading John's Gospel, what we miss when we're reading in English is how astonishing this would be for anybody reading it in the original language. When they read that word tabernacle, they would immediately begin to think of all the symbolism from the Old Testament. Because God's tabernacle, His temple, was where God's presence dwelt. The presence of God was there among His people in the tabernacle. And then located in a place, the temple. And now even more intimate... In Christ, God made flesh dwelling among his people. Even more importantly than being tabernacled among us, he becomes this place where God's presence is made known to us in the midst of the darkness. People living in darkness who needed a light. And because he did, God's glory is now manifested in the person of the word. Because the word dwelt among us, we are able to see God's glory He is able to make God known, which is why the apostle says that he is full of grace and truth. We come to the end of this prologue here, and often we think Jesus is full of grace and truth, but everything before Jesus was not grace and truth. The Old Testament was not grace and truth. Jesus is grace and truth. But if we've been reading the prologue carefully up to this point, we now know that it is not a contrast of ...what was in the Old Testament... ...and now what is in the New Testament... ...once again is it, it is a contrast of persons. It is a reference to Moses... ...in contrast to Jesus. And once again we see this astonishing contrast. Moses, the greatest person... ...that the people of Israel could think of. The one who beheld just a slimmer of God's glory. The one who to whom the promises were given... ...that God would make him a great nation... This great one, not even he, is like this word, Jesus Christ, the eternal word made flesh. Moses was given something to deliver to the people. Jesus manifests something to the people. Moses could only see the back of God and his glory. But Jesus makes the invisible God known to us. Friends, Jesus makes God known. It's as if John knew that we would struggle the way that we do, looking to everyone but Jesus and looking everywhere but to Jesus, looking to ideas but not Jesus. And here in the prologue, he piques everybody's curiosity by speaking of important people and redirecting the gaze to Jesus and holding up very important ideas the word an important idea not only for us as christians but for first century people in greco-roman world and saying don't think of that think of jesus john is redirecting everyone's gaze to jesus the eternal word made flesh friends do you want to know god it says if john is asking then you must know the eternal word made flesh do you know Him? Because you can know Jesus today. Not have you heard about Him, but do you know Him? Not do you believe facts about Him, but do you know Him? And friends, how could you know Him? Here's where the gospel, at the beginning of John's gospel, startles us. By believing and receiving what God has revealed about Jesus in the Scripture. Believing that Jesus is the Christ. Christ. And that he died for you in receiving that. Believing and receiving. There is more to the Christian faith than that. But the astonishing beauty and simplicity of the Christian faith is that we must repent and believe. We must believe and receive. And then in concert with that, continue to learn. The reason that John's gospel is one of everybody's favorites is because it is so abundantly simple and yet so immensely profound. This is not old things repackaged and said again for John. This is something new. God has revealed Himself in His Son, and He is bringing something about that is new. A new creation. A new birth. As God forms a new people. Not born of flesh or the will of man, but born of God. And friends, that is the astonishing beauty of your presence here today. Just take a moment after the service today to look around the room and to see how many people there are here who would not be here if we were just a group of people that were all from the same ethnic background or for the same socioeconomic status or the same educational opportunities or the same states. That God is doing something new, breaking down everything that we hold up to distinguish ourselves from one another. And bringing all of those people together as they look to Jesus, the eternal Word made flesh. Friends, are you looking to Jesus? Believers in the room, are you looking to Jesus? The non-Christian in the room, are you looking everywhere but to Jesus? At the very beginning of his gospel, as John builds us to the crescendo, he would say to us, believe in the eternal word made flesh. I have written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help our unbelief and that you would help us at the very beginning of this gospel. Help us to believe more rightly. Help us to believe if we have never believed. Help us to believe and to understand more. Help us to see with new eyes, to see clearly, to wonder at the profound beauty of all that John has written and be thankful for its incredible simplicity that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in His name. Father, we ask that you would help us today as we leave this place to direct our gaze to Jesus, the eternal Word made flesh. And we ask all of this in the name of our God who has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Would you stand and continue and worship with us?